And this is a Good Stories Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're we're <laughs> we're 100% in reality today. There's no non-reality today. Well, I have a toe in, but I, I can't really get myself there. I'm not smart enough. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Yeah, you're way smarter than me, so... Uh, incorrect. Inc- but yes, thank you, but well, incorrect. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, we read a book by G.K. Chesterton um, called St. Thomas Aquinas. And uh, there was a lot of philosophy in this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was the wittiest conversation about philosophy I've ever read because it was G.K. Chesterton, but I could not keep up with a lot of it. Mm, there's, a, there's a lot I don't know. I'm, I'm not a philosopher. I don't know all of the terms, you know, but I, I know generally a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I am not someone who is going to know like everything the scholastics taught or anything like that, but I just know the basics. Find him a fascinating person. Um, but there is, you know, I expected this to be, you know, I had read it before, but, you know, you expect it to be a biography. And it's a very small book. It's less than 200 pages. But it's, it's, it's there's some biography in it. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just enough to let you know why he's launching into his next discussion of something yes, else. That's right. And you said you kind of picked up a companion book, and I'm just curious what that was. Yeah, so um, I remember I did this when we read St. Francis by G.K. Chesterton before. I read a couple chapters and went, oh, right. He assumes we all have memorized St. Thomas Aquinas' basic facts of his life. And he's just using them as touchstones to kind of launch and talk about medieval thoughts versus modern thoughts versus philosophy of both times, you know, all this stuff. And without that to go on, which I had a very basic idea of St. Thomas Aquinas' life. So what I did is I got The Quiet Light by, I'm not going to say this right, I'm sure, Louis DeVol, W-O-H-L. That's a novel, right? Oh, yeah. It's a novel, but they're all historical fiction. And I love this guy's books. Oh, I, nice. I don't know if people out there know him. He's an older author from maybe he wrote in the 50s and 60s kind of thing, maybe. Maybe even 40s. He did a ton of books. Um, you know, St. Francis, Catherine of Siena, um, Benedict, the original Benedict. So all this stuff. And usually there are parallel stories going along that kind of help illustrate what is the context of the time. But I think this is my favorite. I've read it three times probably. And every time I get done with it, I'm just kind of in love with St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh, great. And I don't feel that way. I mean, you know, I, I respect him, but I don't have this warm feeling to him like I do when I read the book. So I highly recommend it. Okay. And then after I read that, I was able to get more out of this book. But still, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he's G.K. Chesterton is difficult for me sometimes. His fiction, some of his fiction is very hard to read. Mm-hmm. Some of his nonfiction is very hard to read. He's he's so clever, and sometimes I think he goes so fast and skips things 
that I don't catch it, or I'm just not smart enough to keep up with them. <laughs> I, I'm willing to go with that. Oh, I don't believe that for a second. But yeah, um, I agree with you on that. Um, I find audio is helpful. Um, it's mm. almost like you do both, right? I do both with this kind of book. You know, I have the audio on and maybe at a slightly faster clip, and I read it at the same time. Oh, and you've said it, that, and I forget it. Yeah, yeah it helps me with this kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it it keeps you pushing forward, but it also, um, I don't know, it seems to help my retention as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see as we talk about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, who it are we talking about again? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean I didn't pick up a lot of things from the book that mm-hmm. I really liked. It's yeah, just, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, no right. one can cover G.K. Chesterton very easily. He's <laughs> For just sure. a regular reader, I think. Yeah, but. that's right. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, something interesting that I don't know that if we've ever mentioned on this podcast, maybe we have, is both of our parishes – you oh. in Texas and me in Utah are St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. I know. I that and his fun. feast day is coming up, right? That's right. It it's coming the up 29th the, 20, the 28th, I believe. 28th. Okay. Yeah, the J- January 28th. Um, okay. And we're recording this on January the 24th. So, um, yeah, just a few days away. And does your parish note it in any special way? Usually, before the pandemic, they always had a huge potluck. Hmm. And they just, they would provide the main dishes and then everybody was invited. And I think they'd usually get like 500, 600 people. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, they were all, maybe I'm overestimating, but they would all just cram into these three huge rooms and have a big party. And, oh, that's great. and then also mm-hmm. on the six month anniversary, they would do it again so they could have mm-hmm. a summer barbecue. Thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's a good idea. We'll 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 have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't thought about the six month thing. Well yeah, we're doing um so on Friday night, um, which I believe is the twenty seventh, mm, we okay. are going to have um a exposition of the Holy Eucharist. So we'll do Eucharistic oh. Adoration and then we'll do Vespers. And then nice. in the morning on Saturday morning at seven, we'll do um Lauds, I believe. And wow. then um, after the four masses, we have four masses on Saturday night and Sunday. And after every one of those masses, we'll have um, food. So kind of a spread out potluck kind of a situation. <laughs> yes, but yours sounds uh, mm. better in, in the sense of adding in the, of course, the faith level. Yeah, yeah. And this is the first year that I know of that we're doing this. Um, I, I'm not sure who's leading it. I, I'm going to definitely attend and find out whose idea this was and uh, say thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. So Yeah, let's do that's it. a great idea. Yeah, it's really good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one thing I was surprised about on the reread here was that he spent so much time with St. Francis at the beginning. It was I like, you know, so he, he wrote the St. Francis of Assisi book, and then he wrote this years later, I think. And it was like, you know, I, I wrote this St. Francis book, and here's how these two are different, <laughs> and here's how they are the same. Because they lived in, um, I think that, uh, I should have looked it up to get the exact dates, but I think that St. Francis lived and would have died very shortly before St. Thomas came on the scene. So I don't think that they knew each other, 
but they no. lived in a very near place in time. Well, and I think St. Francis was good friends with St. Bonaventure, right? Didn't mm. it was St. Bonaventure the one who wrote The Life of Francis? Oh yeah, The Life of St. Francis of Assisi by St. Bonaventure. And so the thing I love that got talked about in by Chesterton a lot was that, you know, Thomas and Bonaventure were best friends. Mm. And the way the Franciscans and the Dominicans are often thought of is that they were a rivalry. You know, you've got the ones who are ex- expressing poverty. You've got the ones who are looking at the intellectual stuff more. They're both mendicant orders, which means they're both supposed to be out there begging. Mm. Um, but they have such different emphases of how they express that faith yeah, and that love of God. And they're often shown as being pitted against each other. And so I really love the fact that he kept pointing out about, you know, they were best friends. Yeah. Interesting. So I just looked up here and um, Francis died in 1226 and St. or Thomas Aquinas was born in either 1225 or 1226. It says here born 28 January, 1225. But Mm -hmm. um, that's on Wikipedia. And most of the places that I look, Seem to be unsure of his date of um, birth. Um, okay. There's always, it's like, yeah, 25 or 26, we're not positive which. Um, but um, there was a lot going on. Yeah, there was a lot going on. But yeah, it was, yeah. it's a very, very near in time, you know. Um, so, yeah, St. Francis passes away and then on comes St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, 20 years later. Or so, <clears throat> um, but. Yeah, it's, I love that contrast that you're talking about. You know, St. Francis was a completely different kind of person than St. Thomas. Yeah, and I have something I'd like to read please, about that, please. if that's okay. Yep. It's um, a little lengthy, maybe. It says, Perhaps under the shadow of the storm that menaced all friars, Bonaventure the Franciscan grew into so great a friendship with Thomas Dominican that their contemporaries compared them to David and Jonathan. Hmm. The point is of some interest, because it would be quite easy to represent the Franciscan and the Dominican as flatly contradicting each other. The Franciscan may be represented as the father of all the mystics, and the mystics can be represented as men who maintain that the final fruition or joy of the soul is rather a sensation than a thought. The motto of the mystics has always been taste and see. Now St. Thomas also began by saying taste and see, but he said it of the first rudimentary impressions of the human animal. It might well be maintained that the Franciscan puts taste, and that's capital T, last, and the Dominican puts it first. It might be said that the Thomist begins with something solid like the taste of an apple, and afterward deduces a divine life for the intellect, Hmm. while the mystic exhausts the intellect first and says finally that the sense of God is something like the taste of an apple. A common enemy might claim that St. Thomas begins with the taste of fruit and St. Bonaventure ends with the taste of fruit. But they are both right, if I may say so. It is a privilege of people who contradict each other in their cosmos to be both right. The mystic is right in saying that the relation of God and man is essentially a love story, the pattern and type of all love stories. The Dominican rationalist is equally right and saying that the intellect is at home in the topmost heavens, and that the appetite for truth may outlast and even devour all the duller appetites of man. Mm. 
So he shows them as being so different, but only because they're coming at it from different angles yes. that they wind <clears> up in the same place with the same love and desire to know God. And I deeply. absolutely love that fact. It's like, um, that's one of the facts about the Catholic Church is that both those people are part of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Catholicism that has, you know, what, a billion adherents now? I don't it's yeah. I can't remember how many but there's just so many schools of thought inside this religion that I just love it. And um you know the fact that the this this mystic um who who again looks at that apple and it's like a, this is a poem and then St. Mm-hmm. Thomas who looks at the apple and sees logic. <laughs> and they're both part they're both human, they're both part of this and um it's just beautiful that that they're both um, part of this tradition. Well, and it kind of just a little bit, a few pages, well, about 30 pages before that, but he talks about Francis is interpreted by people as being a pagan mm. because he just loves the animals. Yes, right. And nature. Mm-hmm. And St. Thomas is interpreted as an Aristotelian, you know, because he's the one who said, no, most of what Aristotle came to was actually true he just didn't have any clues to go further and so he takes a lot of his logic and thought and incorporates it in the faith which a lot of people had trouble with at the time and it says but both were becoming more like christ just doing it on different paths and so it was a growth of theology from within which he develops later into the part that i was reading there yeah yeah. but it's that same thing that people look at now and just go oh saint thomas was just an egghead and francis was out there dancing in the flowers (laughs) singing to the birds or whatever. And that's, yeah. of course, not it at all. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And then I've got this little snippet that talks more about their, I don't know, countenance and personality. It's just mm, very short. Yeah. But it's, St. Thomas was a huge, heavy bull of a man, <laughs> fat and slow and quiet, very mild and magnanimous, but not very sociable, shy, even apart from the humility of holiness, and abstracted, even apart from his occasional and carefully concealed experiences of trance or ecstasy. St. Francis was so fiery and even fidgety that the ecclesiastics, before whom he appeared quite suddenly, thought he was a madman. St. Thomas (laughs) was so stolid that the scholars in the schools in which he attended regularly thought he was a dunce. You know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's neat. And I really think that he, because he wrote about St. Francis first, he was, and because they're kind of connected in time, the way you described, that that's why he spends so much time contrasting and comparing them. I just mm. think that's what grabbed G.K. Chesterton's imagination first. Yes, honestly. I think so too. Yeah. And so he just takes that, and then later he's talking about other things. He kind of finally drops Francis some even though we may have Bonaventure still. Because after a while, I was like, I get it, okay. <laughs> um, it was all interesting and everything, but I was like, can, I, can we get to Thomas now? Yes, you bet. And that was the point where I went, oh, wait, yeah, he's not going to tell me his life story. I better find that out myself. And then, um, so Aquinas was born. I found this very interesting. So I, I had a little bit of extra help, too. So um, I, I listened to a couple of lectures one was on uh, medieval philosophy, and oh. I was ju- I just listened to a couple of half-hour lectures on Thomas, and then mm-hmm. one was uh, Peter Kreeft did um, a whole lecture series on uh, the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas, and the first oh. half hour was on his life. 
So I listened to that. <laughs> so I oh, have yet to do. I, I have yet to that. do all of the philosophy. I just listened to the first half hour. Okay, um, but I it, did it really not helped me um, clear some. So I did, it was similar to what you did there. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he was born, and I, I found this interesting. This is stuff that I didn't remember. Um, that he was born to a pretty rich family. In fact, it was a powerful oh, family. Yeah, yeah really he was powerful. noble. <clears throat> yeah, right. he was noble, and his family was split. Um, you had at the time this real struggle between the the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor, and it was yep. really a um, a struggle between you know should the Pope have any secular power at all, and should the Holy Roman Emperor have any uh, ecclesiastical power at all. Right. And it was this struggle between the two. And there was this whole thing called the investiture controversy on who gets to appoint whom. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was, went on for just, you know, tens of years, just kept going on and on and on. Um, but I found that that was really interesting. So he was born in this family that was, um, very well to do, and split between these two forces. And in the midst of that, Thomas says, I want to become a Dominican. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, I don't even want to be the abbot. I just want to be a Dominican monk, right? And of course, uh, his mother particularly was horrified by the idea. And her name was Theodora. Yeah, yeah, they had bought him the path with, what was the other order they wanted him to go into? Uh, I don't remember the name. Not these yeah. beggars. No, no. That's yeah. for sure. Absolutely not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So, right. So they had planned to, they being, um, it's like the Dominican order was like, sure, come on over. And they said, okay, now you've got to come to us. And as he was on his way there, his mother, under his mother's orders, his brothers, some of his brothers captured him and put him in a castle. And it was like for a year he was trapped. And, um, you know, so, that, I mean, that was his family. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, we, we really don't want you to be a Dominican. Uh, so <laughs> You uh, will understand something. later. Yes. This is important to the family. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yep. Yeah. Too good. Too good. Um, but, yeah, there's these little facts about St. Thomas's life that um, are really beautiful. So, I mean, out of this book, we don't get a heck of a lot about St. Thomas's life, really. We get mm-hmm. a lot about his intellectual life. Um, Chesterton says a couple of times he's, that this is like, you know, he's talking almost like a philosophical biography. And he says, this is not a theological one, because if I got into that, this would be really big. Um, So I was like, okay. So, um, but he's talking about philosophy. And the thing that was really interesting to me um, in the philosophical thing was this scholasticism. And I know just a little bit of it, but Thomas was a real proponent of that. And one of the aspects of it that was, I guess you could say controversial was he was bringing Aristotle back into the fold of philosophical thought and therefore the church's thought. And the criticism of him would be, well, Aristotle isn't the Bible. And why are we bringing him in? You know, he wasn't even Catholic or anything like that. Right. 
but he was bringing that in there. And um, so, but Aristotle, and I did, I looked this stuff up, so don't think I'm like really smart or anything like that, because I did have to you look this stuff smart. up. But this Aristotle, <laughs> er, er, however you say that, Aristotelian philosophy. Aristotelian. Arist- perfect. See, look how smart you are. <laughs> it's fantastic. I practiced yeah. 20 uh, times <laughs> now. I love it. Um, but it says it's characterized by its emphasis on empirical observation and the use of reason and logic. So um, one of the most important things from Aristotle was his development of logic in the syllogism, which is, mm. you know, if this statement and that statement, therefore this. And um, Thomas really believed in that. Um, so he was like, you know, this is observation rather than through pure intuition and um you know that's what aristotle believed in now i know that thomas believed in revelation you know because he would he would um you know attribute uh, much of what he wrote well pretty much everything he wrote to god he would say things like that um and, and I think he was one of those people who that was one of his gifts. Yes. Um, when he died, mm-hmm. was it was it that he told his confessor or it, there was something about um, he basically said God had like basically told him when he was dying because he didn't he wasn't that old mm-hmm. and he just said I gave you everything early. So you would have mm-hmm. my truth as long as possible, so you could do what you would with it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and there's a did. story in here about when he was younger, and you know everybody thought he was dumb because he just didn't speak that much. He was just quiet, and he was right. big fella, right? And then somebody's talking about philosophy. You can almost hear that he was condescending, and um, right. just saying, you know, this is that, this is that, and then he just pipes up and he says, "Well, clearly the solution to that is this." And uh, they said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> Somebody write that down, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is awesome. Somebody write that thing down. Yeah. And um, another thing that I loved was um, when asked what uh, what he thanked God most, um, there was a line in this book where he said, he answered, um, I have understood every page I have ever read. And that right. was his, um, you That's know, his what gift, he was his really charisma. thankful. Yep. yep. Yeah. Right. Because others can't say that. He just had a natural, you know, way of seeing all that and understanding it and that intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing where he was sent um, to the person who was his teacher was, wasn't it St. Albert? Is it Albert the Great or just St. Yeah, Albert? I think it's, and, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, because they were the ones who started the universities and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, or they at least were starting their own university. And... um People would make fun of Thomas, and Thomas is like, I mean, Albert is like, this dumb ox is going to roar, and the whole world will listen, <laughs> you know? Yes, love He that. knew. It's yeah. just he was quiet, and he was humble. He didn't feel mm-hmm. like he needed to say anything. Right, right. Yeah. And um, Chesterton says, you know, when we're talking about Aristotle and the little bit of controversy there, you know, where people were... Um, saying, you know, well, that's not the Bible. Um, why are you bringing this into the into the religion? And it says uh, Saint Thomas did not reconcile Christ to Aristotle; he reconciled Aristotle to Christ. 
Right. And uh, that remains with us to this day. There's just no doubt. Um, Because, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And it's for all the people now who look and go, well, religion and doesn't like science and all that stuff. And it's like you look at this and go, look how far back this was. And this wasn't even the first of it. I will say the thing Chesterton did, he was fairly scornful. Uh, not necessarily of St. Augustine himself, but of the Augustinians and the way they looked at things. And he wasn't, to me, specific enough about exactly what it was that they said that was so opposite to what St. Thomas kind of cleared up. Mm-hmm. So, um, and maybe Peter Crave said something more about that. But it was the thing of he was always like, oh, not like those Augustinians. And I'm like... More details, please, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I didn't yeah. know what that was. But it it comes down to the fact that no matter who he was being compared to, he was always looking at what is the truth. And like you say, we bring it into the church, but it's not brought into the church because we're forcing a square peg into a round hole. It's because there's already, it's a peg that already fits. We just have to find where is the bit that it fits into in this puzzle. Because the church receives all the truth because God is truth, and therefore everything that's true is of God. It's just how do we understand it? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Truth cannot contradict truth, you know? Right. You know, that's that's definitely it. And um, yeah, I mean, even Augustine, um, I found a, a thing. He wrote a book called The Literal, see, The Literal Interpretation of Genesis. But in that book, um, Augustine says... Oh, yeah. You know, this stuff about science that, um, hey, even if you're a Christian and you're running around talking dumb things about science that people know is not true, then you are hurting Christianity. Um, You are hurting people's conversion. And it really frustrated him. And that was from, what, 300 AD, something like that? 400? 400. I'm trying to remember when I was doing that. Yeah, I think it was 400 maybe. Well, yeah, yeah, because the thing about Augustine that was (laughs) so great Maybe this is why I like him so much, is uh, he was a convert also. He was a late convert, so he knew what everybody thought of the church. He'd Mm -hmm. been one of those people. (laughs) Boy, they're a bunch of dummies. Yep, yep. He's like, stop it. This is you guys' fault. You're making us look bad. Well, when you talk about, since we're talking about science, this is later on in um, Aquinas' life, but there was a guy whose name I probably can't say right, Seeker of Brabant, Right, yes, Mm mm-hmm who said the church, as I'm reading now from Chesterton, the church must be right theologically, but she can be wrong scientifically. There are two truths, the truth of the supernatural world and the truth of the natural world, which contradicts the supernatural world. While we are being naturalists, we can suppose that Christianity is all nonsense, but then when we remember that we are Christians, we must admit that Christianity is true, even if it is nonsense. And I'm like, how many people today do that? Mm. That drives me insane. Yeah, yeah. And Thomas, he says, this is the time when the dumb ox came out like a wild bull. <laughs> he was like, he never got mad, but he got mad about that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it that's says, great. Mm-hmm. Right, it says, um, it was, St. Thomas was willing to allow the one truth to be approached by two paths, precisely because he was sure there was only one truth. Because the faith was the one truth, nothing discovered in nature could ultimately contradict the faith. Because the faith was the one truth, nothing really deduced from the faith could ultimately contradict the facts. 
Hmm. It was, in truth, a curiously daring confidence in the reality of his religion. And though some may linger to dispute it, it has been justified. And he's saying a lot of the things that they thought were really scientific and the faith was wrong back then have been proven, of course, to be right. Yes. Yep, I love it. So, yeah, yeah. and that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't know any other way to think than that. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, how can you separate this, you know, this idea <laughs> that there's two truths? And, um, you know, I, I've read books. I, I remember Stephen Jay Gould. All um, right. Uh, what did he – he wrote a book. I think it was called The Rock of Ages. Um in which he was talking about religion and science as two different magisteriums, um, using religious language to, um, I'm not sure why. I mean, he was, he was an atheist, um, pretty much all the way down. So, um, but this idea that they're separate, um, the, the thing is that they, they do answer some different questions. Um, and you know, I mean, they, they are these, these ways of finding the truth, but the thing is they're it's all one thing. I mean, I agree right. with that completely. There's one truth. You know, God is or God isn't. It's not true for me and then not true for you. You know what I mean? Um, this is something that I think it's permeated uh, the modern world anyway. That's what Pope uh, Benedict, God rest his soul, was on about so much was relativism. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's so silly, really, because... And we've talked about this before, but why not? Um, you know, people talk about the science with all capitals. Yes. And it's like, the science, facts are facts, but the minute the facts are put out there, there's the interpretation. How do you use them? What is the significance of this information? And that's where it gets clouded, but people still like to act like that's the same as the measurable fact and compare them with, you know, as you say, the faith isn't there to talk about that same thing they're talking about a different thing altogether and it's this is probably an awkward comparison but if i was to say you know what my cardiologist finds out can't be compared with uh, environmental science mm-hmm. they're two different things they have nothing to do with each other they can both be true well that's the stuff with the faith and science in general i mean right yeah any other thing about science you know people are putting faith in that but oh, but there is yeah. also this idea that um, you know all of our cognitive bias uh, comes into play with science too. So I mean, how many stories of scientists have we had where where somebody makes a big discovery like sometime in their life and sort of builds a career on that discovery and then is completely resistant to change once <laughs> uh, facts start to come in that say, hey, this little part of your theory looks like it might be this way instead of that way. Um, you know, so, I mean, we have all these these human things where it's like, man, I've, I've just spent the last five years doing this, and this piece of data tells me that, and then a human being would sometimes put that aside and say, that's an outlier. <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, uh, just move on and continue with all the grant funding or whatever. I'm just saying that there are all kinds of forces that are reinforcing things that may even have them not see the facts as the, as the facts. So um, that's another aspect of science, you know, so science done right. Shouldn't, shouldn't fail, but we're, they're humans too. I mean, we're all humans. 
I say they. Well, that's, yeah. You know, but I mean us <laughs> because I'm into science as well. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm all for it. Let's keep doing it. Um, well, people do that yeah. with the faith also. Absolutely. And that's part of what mm-hmm. Aquinas was doing is he was looking at all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, do right. these things all hold together? Yeah. And I remember when I first came across the Summa Theologica, which I, it's not like I've read the whole thing or anything like that. Read little pieces of it, and it's fascinating just how he put it together. But this idea that, you know, he would ask a question, and then he would answer the question. Like, the question, does God exist? Something like, he would answer, you know, yeah. And then he would come up with rebuttals to what he said, and then he would rebut the rebuttals. Um, yeah. You know, and by doing that, I think that that's interesting. It's an exercise that I've done on a few things. It would be really interesting to do that with a lot of things, you know, just to get things straight in your head. And you you say, well, you know, um, let's forget God existing, but let's say, I don't know, I'm just thinking of something else, spirit or something like that. You know, what's the nature of spirit? And then to actually write it down like... Aquinas might, and then think of things that somebody would say uh, about your statement that they're going to say that that's untrue because X, Y, Z. And if you can think of that and then rebut that, I mean, you're really clarifying it for yourself. And um, it's a, a worthwhile exercise to do that. Well, and most of us know the arguments other people are going to put up against what we're saying. For sure. Mm-hmm. And so that's the whole idea of what he's saying is it gives you like you say, for yourself, you can clarify it, but also just in terms of explaining it to someone else. Mm -hmm. And the thing I like about, I haven't really read it ever. I've seen examples of it and it's been good. And I like that he never puts up a straw man. Yeah. He never is just putting up fake arguments that he can easily knock down. He's taking hard questions and saying, well, what about this? But then what about that? But then what about this? And he's really honestly looking at it and answering it. Yes, right. And a lot of the people you're talking about, like Stephen Gould, was yeah, it? Yeah, Stephen Jay Gould. Yeah. Stephen Jay Gould, or was it, is it Richard Dawkins? Yep, Richard people Dawkins. People like that, mm-hmm. they spend a lot of time with straw men. Yeah, they do. It's, it's one of the things that I think is really common is, um, yeah, the, the God that you're arguing against is not one that I believe in either. <laughs> you know, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. giving me all these things and I'm like, no, God's not an object in the universe, man. I mean, we're talking about two different things. Um, yeah, I because know. that's the, yeah. you know, we've been in the heavens. There's no one there. Right, like, right. How dumb do you think I am? <laughs> Thanks for nothing. You bet. You bet. Yeah. 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 I'm not five. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, and St. Thomas would do those debates. You know, it's happening right now, you know, with like Richard Dawkins and other people. Um, but St. Thomas is one who would stand up and do that debate. And um, I, I noted something that I thought was interesting about his style on that. It says, uh, the great example of St. Thomas, the principal stands or ought to have always stood established that we must either not argue with a man at all or we must argue on his grounds and not ours. We may do other Mm. things instead of arguing according to our views of what actions are morally permissible, but if we argue, we must argue on the reasons and statements of the philosophers themselves. And, um, yeah, that again stands today. You know, so it's like meeting someone where they are is how I look at that. 
It's like, you know, yeah. if you're going to argue this thing, okay, I need to go there. Because sometimes when you're talking to somebody, like if they come in for RCIA and they've got some specific questions, sometimes there is an underlying thing. And it's like, um, you know, for, do we agree on this statement? And if, if we agree there, okay, now we can stand on that and then oh, right, go there. Right. You know, but finding that is sometimes something you need to do is, um, you know, it's like, you know, if you're arguing with an atheist and you quote the Bible, um, <laughs> they're not going to see that as valid. Right. Yeah, there's no good to right. that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So you, to an atheist, anyway. Yeah. So you're like, okay, well, the Bible says this about that, and so you argue about that, and you can come at that, and then at the end, you say, by the way, the Bible says what I just said. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, I came at it from a different way, but the Bible is, it's got that in there too. It's yeah. You know, here are the verses that you yeah, could look at if you wanted to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that just goes along with. Um, Common charity. Hmm. I was just today is St. Francis de Sales feast day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh and my gosh. That's I cool. Was, yeah. <laughs> it's just funny because <laughs> I, in my memory, we recorded about his book on his feast day years ago. I remember we oh, were surprised. We? we were like, today's his feast day. And we didn't even do that on purpose. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I was reading some of his quotes today. Mm-hmm. Because of that. And one of them is he was talking about you have to always be charitable to people. It doesn't matter who they are, what their belief is. If you're not going to be friendly and nice and patient with them, don't even bother talking to them because mm. you're not loving them as a person. Yeah. Because if you want to talk to them about, you know, faith or anything else, that's fine. But first, you have to. Treat them as a human being who's worthy of respect. Hmm. And that's that very thing that you're saying. Yeah, very good. Yep, I love that. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to mention, too, um, what happened to him late in life. And um, I'm unclear about how long before he died that this happened. But um, in Chesterton's book, he says... um, he had returned victorious from his last combat with uh, Sigur of Brabant, that person that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So he would he would meet him and and argue with him often. It seemed like, and then it says this particular quarrel was the one point we, as we may say, in which his outer and inner life had crossed and coincided. Um, so he he says he won his battle, and I'm just moving down here. Um, so he resumed the strict routine of religion and for some time said nothing to anybody. Um, and then something happened. It is said while he was celebrating Mass, the nature of which will never be known among mortal men. His friend Reginald asked him to return also to his equally regular habits of reading and writing. And following the controversies of the hour, he said with a singular emphasis, I can write no more. There seems to have been silence, after which Reginald again ventured to approach his subject, and Thomas answered him with even greater vigor, I can write no more. I have seen things which make all my writings like straw. So that seems to have been very near the time that he passed away, because, um, let's see, he's... I think he passed away, he was like 48 or 49, it says. Mm-hmm. Um, but here it's uh, the next paragraph. In 1274, when Aquinas was nearly 50, 
The Pope, rejoicing in the recent victory over the Arabian Sophists, <laughs> sent word to him. You know, so that that was very near, very near his death. Yeah. Um, so he didn't, he wasn't in that state for long, but he was shown something apparently that had, yeah. he was like, um, I, I can't do that anymore. And, uh, remarkable, just great. Well, and there weren't many things like that recorded, but I know because every, because Reginald, I don't know if this is maybe just the book, other book I read or this, or his Reginald's like, but you're so close to being done, man. You need this. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. That's it. That's all she wrote basically. Wow. But yeah. um, because I know there was at least one time when he was observed, um, oh, there's a gr- good word for it, but, you know, he was basically floating. Mm. Nice. While he was Beautiful. praying. Yeah. That used to happen to, like, Teresa of Avila. I think she would hold herself down or ask her sisters, if I start doing this, hold me down. <laughs> I don't want the attention. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And um, then also, of course, there's the very famous moment, and I feel like Reginald was his confessor. Mm. And But anyway, um, who was in the church, and he was celebrating the Mass, Thomas was, and a voice spoke from the crucifix saying, Thomas, you have spoken well of me. Oh, you know, yeah. what, what do you want? And he mm. said, only you, Lord. And I'm like, oh, of course, because what a pure heart. Mm. It's like, I'm just doing this for you anyway, so I just yeah. want you. That's beautiful. Yep. I know. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. I really love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you had more you wanted to no, say about right that. Mm-hmm. No, okay, because mm-hmm. one of the things, I did really love a couple of the points that Chesterton made just in general, where um, one was that he was saying that, I think he might still have been comparing Francis and Thomas, comparing and contrasting. But he was saying that the saint is a medicine because he's an an antidote to what's wrong with the Mm. world, essentially. And it says, indeed, that is why the saint is often a martyr. He is mistaken for a poison because he's an antidote. He will generally be found restoring the world to sanity by exaggerating whatever the world neglects, which is by no means always the same element in every age. Yet each generation seeks its saint by instinct, and he is not what the people want, but rather what the people need. So, oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. And I really love that because, you know, um, you know, explaining monks to people. <laughs> it's like, you know, what, what do monks do? You know, what's the purpose of that? You know, and, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, they're showing us examples. You know, I, I say things like they're, they're, some of them show us, you know, how unimportant some of the things are that we worry about every day. Um, right. You know, because they live without those things. Um, mm-hmm. That's one example. Um, just the constant prayer. You know, if we can do just a sliver of that, you know, um, how uh, rewarded we'll be. Um, and and that thing. So the, the idea that they're an antidote um, and uh, that people may see them as poison. I mean, I've, I've seen that too. It's, you know, I've, I've had mm-hmm. people say, oh, there's no purpose to that at all. It's right. Like, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, because from it. the and standards of the world. And it's an exaggeration, right? An exaggeration right. of some aspect, some attribute. Well, and, and I'm thinking of uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta now. Yeah. And how surprised I was when into her, I, I, you can't call it a career, but into her vocation to help these poor people, suddenly she's being attacked by people. 
saying she's I just know, awful. Yeah. She's taking money from these people who aren't worthy. Right. And and when she talked about suffering, um, I remember Christopher Hitchens jumped on that. Yeah. I mean, when he talked about it, he was just vile. You know, yeah. her her idea that you know suffering might be something that you need to go through was just abhorrent uh, to Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, and I'm just going to say that's something that has been known by more than Christians yes. throughout history. Agreed. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just remember the amount of bile that was being poured on this woman's head, and I wasn't religious at all, mm. but I knew she was a saint. I mean, I just knew it, and um, I couldn't believe people were doing that and making these small, taking these small things and exaggerating what was wrong. And um, because the the examples they give, I just thought, well, then she's just otherworldly. You know, mm. she's got her head in the cloud. She's doing her thing. All right. She'll take money from a drug lord. She'll take money from whatever. Yeah. And um, so that's the thing about they exaggerate what the world needs and what the world How needs interesting. to see. Yeah. So I like his statement, you know, uh, we all gravitate toward the saint we need um, yeah. in history. and. I'm just curious, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, uh, John Paul II and Mother Teresa were kind of in Mm -hmm. the same era there. Uh, But what about right now? We need Uh, one. We don't get a saint for every age. Yeah, we need one. I mean, I guess we must, but. Yeah. Well, and there are saints that aren't the big, big, great ones, but that, um, like, Again, I'm struck by St. Carlo Acutis. Is that oh, how you yeah. say his name? Oh, yeah. The young man. And that 16-year-old yeah. mm-hmm. Italian boy who mm-hmm. um, he loved computer games. He loved soccer. He loved everything, all this stuff. He was just normal as could be. All the good but stuff. It, yeah, but <laughs> he had a real, yeah, exactly. He had a real heart for the church, the Eucharist, and he had a real heart for helping people who were around him. Like he would be the one who stood up for the bullies. He'd be the one who'd go help the poor. He'd be the one. And at that age, it was obvious from an early age that he was unusually attracted to all these things. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, I don't know. It's unique people like that. But he's not known like those others are. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how well known he is outside the church. Um, I don't know but how yeah. well known he is inside the church. Yeah, that's a good. That's true. Somebody but, was uh, talking to me, yeah. yeah, about somebody young that they were worried about. And I was like, oh, pray to Saint Carlo Acutis to there help him out. Yeah, you know. for sure. Love it. They Love hadn't it. heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm just thinking well, about who else is around right now. You know, but yeah. Well, very good. Very good. Yeah. yeah. I, they're out there. We know that they're there. You know, they're in yeah, their, every age think of also, the church. Yeah. Well, they are. But I think we've lived in a privileged age to see those two great saints in action. Yeah. Um, because, you know, previous ages have had saints, but they're not always as well known. Or they're, they're saints for intellectual reasons or whatever that we can't really grasp as people. You know, Thomas Aquinas was out there being super smart and helping change the whole baseline of theology and how it was going to be applied to life. But the regular people didn't know about him, I don't think, or understand anything. And so I think, you know, so like look at 
I guess Paul the Sixth. He's probably not a saint, but I feel like he should be. Mm. Humanity Day, if, if that's the thing I'm thinking of. But anyway, um, there's people like that, and um, we can't always see them or appreciate them. But these two, these were like Saint Anthony of Padua or Saint Francis, or you know, they're they're visible for us. Yeah, yeah. And now. There might be people like that, but I don't know them. Yeah, yeah. They're out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to trust that they're there. I mean... Well, we have to go with the saints that we do know. Yeah. And they're not always present all the time in our lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we all know people who are holy. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who are put near us. Yeah. My grandfather, who I've mentioned many times. Mm-hmm. Um, people like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all know people. That are, you know, mm-hmm. definitely. And we're trying yeah. to do it ourselves. So yeah. <laughs> if we can be the little saints to each other, like St. Yeah. Therese, I guess. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's a beautiful thought. Yeah. 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 So okay. um, I had one more thing. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Unless you have more that you're No, please about. go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the last thing I had that I just loved, because... While I'm busy complaining Chesterton's not giving me the down low on Thomas's life, I'm busy marking all these things that were wonderful ways of saying <laughs> things like that thing we just talked about. But also, he said, um, <laughs> Christianity is, is, people love to say Christianity has failed. Mm. And then they talk about, you know, this revolution over here, this is changing the world. And he goes, and what's still here and what's gone? <laughs> so he yep. says... Yeah, it is often cheerfully remarked that Christianity has failed, by which it is meant that it has never had that sweeping, imperial, and imposed supremacy which has belonged to each of the great revolutions, every one of which has subsequently failed. There was never a moment when a man could say that every man was a Christian, as they might say for several months that every man was a royalist or a republican or a communist. But if sane historians want to understand the sense in which the Christian character has succeeded, they could not find a better case than the massive moral presence of a man like St. Thomas, Mm. in support of the buried rationalism of the heathens, which had as yet only been dug up for the amusement of the heretics. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Yep. Um, Yeah. But I did love that thing about, we're always hearing about how Christianity's failed, Christianity's dead. It's gone. I'm like, well, right now it's gone from our public culture. But there's a zillion Christians left that are all living their lives, trying to be little saints for each other, (laughs) I think. I think so, too. Yeah, And that's where the ones, hopefully, who can hold the faith and keep things going and re-evangelize things and will be here when progressivism and, you know, all this stuff is gone. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And I, and I love that. That segues right into this quote that I'm looking at, oh. which is, again, from that. But it it has to do with um, the confusing philosophy that we get so often from the modern world. You know, you're saying progressive, but this mm-hmm. modern world, right? Uh, so the, it, it says, to this question, is there anything... St. Thomas begins by answering yes. If he began by answering no, it would not be the beginning, but the end. (laughs) That is what some of us call common sense. 
and yes. how much <laughs> you know uh, when you read philosophy today it's um it's much more complex than that it's like you know uh there might not be anything you might not exist you uh-huh. you know th- these are things that it, it's seriously posing and you're like come on man just yeah. uh you know really i mean we can't even agree on that <laughs> So. Because they can't prove it, but it's a thought, uh, yeah. it's just a theory, mm-hmm. and we should go along with it because it would be cool to think about. Yeah. Like parallel universes. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. show me some proof. Yeah. I mean, now I'm going to be the one going, mm-hmm. I would like the science, please. <laughs> there you go. Just serve you it bet. up in front of me, and then I'll take a look. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Other universes with other me's. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that you're not great and all I'm, that. <laughs> okay. I'm so important that there's probably a billion of me. Oh my gosh, Scott. Mm-hmm. You're right. I never well, thought about that. That's why everybody likes to think that. Because I'm so important. Now yes. what happened in this universe? <gasps> oh, that's really good. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Never thought about that. And, you know, the thing is, the opposite of that is what really makes us important. It's like there's only one. We yes. should treasure that, you know. Yes. In the in this whole giant universe, there's one. And um, that's a pretty special thing. Kind of an amazing thing to think about, too. Well, it's really kind of an amazing thing when, as a Catholic, what you know is that each of us was created very intentionally, of course, with great love, and put right where we are. Hmm. I mean, we may wind up married to whoever or doing whatever, but this time period, we were made for this time. Yep. We're part of hmm. God's, you know, we're energized hmm. on God's behalf in this time, in this place. So to wish we lived long ago or in the future or whatever, nope. Hmm. We fit in here just like one of those little puzzle pieces I was talking about for Thomas with his science and his um, the Aristotelian things. Mm-hmm. We're part of what God's weaving. Yeah. And that's part of being unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Beautiful. Yep. Love it. Yep. St. Thomas was mm-hmm. definitely unique. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love it. I love it. Very good. Very good. Well, is there anything else you would like to say about Ugh. our good friend, St. Thomas? No, I yep. I have many wonderful things I know about St. Thomas now, mm. and um, I can express almost none of them. That's why people <laughs> have to read this book. Yeah, this but book. But it is a great book, and mm. probably if I read it about ten times, I'd really get it. Yeah, I love it. And I like the idea of uh, listening to Peter Crave's series. Uh-huh. On that, I didn't know he had it. I will, I will uh, finish that. But again, I just barely started it. So yeah, uh, but, but it, the rest just... of it's about the philosophy. Okay. And uh, the Quiet Light, a novel of Saint Thomas Aquinas by right. uh, Louis DeWall. I just yeah. found it on uh, Amazon Kindle for two dollars and ninety nine cents. So <laughs> yeah, you know how get you sometimes mm-hmm. they'll lure you in to an yeah. author by doing one really cheap, and the rest are all fifteen dollars. <laughs> but this right. is the cheap one, That's and right. it's the one to get, man. It oh, is good. so good, Excellent. and it 
it talks, the parallel thread is, uh, there are two parallel threads, and one is somebody who works for the family, and the other one is uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, mm. who is cool. just a holy terror. Oh, I boy. mean, mm-hmm. oh, and he is showing so well the context of what's the alternative mm. to what Thomas is doing. Yeah, you know, great. he's flirting mm-hmm. with um, Muslim philosophy, and um, he's just he's just oh, the worst. Yeah. But you really see what everyone's struggling with. It's really well done. Good. I am really looking forward to it. Yeah, can't wait. You bet. (laughs) Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you, St. Thomas, and please pray for us. Yes. Please pray for us. Pray for us. Yeah. Pray for us. And next up is (laughs) the epic, the one, the only, RRR. Please watch this movie. <laughs> and this is Scott's choice. I want everyone to notice it's the first Indian it movie Scott has chosen. Magnificent. It's taken me years, yes. But <laughs> check this movie out. Definitely. RRR. Um, well, for it's on anyone who, who watched uh, Bahubali when mm-hmm. we talked about it, this is the same director. Oh, man. And it is nut job bonkers amazing. <laughs> it is the best it bromance so you are ever yeah. gonna see mythic ever. and beautiful yeah yeah just awesome yeah yeah you're gonna have a lot of fun with that over the top oh boy over the top yeah so good cool super fun yeah all right well thank you for listening everyone yes thank you so much all right catch you in a couple weeks yep talk to you soon bye-bye bye